This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. We've been in this series called Honor Up. If you have your Bibles, go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to begin with what I'm calling our series text. This has been the text that we've been looking at each and every week before we jump into other scriptures. I want to read it again for those of you that are new to us or new to this series. We have been in a series called Honor Up, looking at what it means to honor God by honoring authority and honoring the people that God uses in our lives. And so the first week we talked a lot about what it means to honor God and what it means to honor everyone. And then the second week, Pastor Doug from Houston, Texas came and talked about what it means to honor spiritual authority. And then last week I started a message called honoring your earthly leaders and those involved in civic government. And I felt compelled to do a part two to that message. So tonight, this is part two of what it means to honor your earthly leaders. If you're there, say, I'm there, Pastor Jay. First Peter chapter two, verse 13, and it's on the screen. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Highlight or swipe or underline, be subject for the Lord's sake. We're going to come back to that. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Say foolish people. How many of you guys know that God doesn't want us to live as foolish people on the earth today? So let's be open to receive wisdom from him tonight. Verse 16, live as people who are free. Underline that. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. You might want to underline that as well. But living as what? As servants of God. And here we come down to the nitty-gritty. Verse 17. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. And may the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Last week we looked at three questions. Put them up there. Does all authority really come from God? Number two, how do we honor those we often disagree with? And number three, as Christ followers, how do we honor our civic leaders and those involved with earthly government? If you were here, raise your hand. I just want to get a show of hands so I know who I'm talking to tonight. Okay, so about half of you were, half of you weren't. Today I want to build on these three, what I'm calling the big three, by asking what I'm calling the next three. Three follow-up questions that I think need to be answered in response to the big three, and here they are. Number one, does God appoint every leader who rules? So this will be fun. Some of you had, uh, had emailed me, and I had some good conversations with some of you last week uh, regarding this, so we're going to get into this tonight. Number two, does God approve of every leader who rules? Is there a difference between what God appoints and what God approves of? And then number three, will God ultimately hold every leader accountable for the way that they rule? that they rule. So these are the three questions that we're going to focus our time on tonight. And uh, to do so, we're going to really engage what God's word has to say about it. Let's start with the first question tonight. Number one, does God appoint every leader who rules? The short answer is yes. And I'm going to let that settle with you just for a moment, because I know for some of you already, you're like, oh, I don't know, Pastor Jason, you're really going to go there tonight. You're going you're gonna to push that hot button. I'm not. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 2 is. Here it is. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no 
for there is no, for there is no authority except from who? First of all, do we believe this? I think some of us are not too sure. And it goes on to say, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Do we believe that? Some of us are not too sure. And a year of election, some of us are not quite convinced. But let's, let's go on to read what verse 2 says. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. What God has appointed. And I want you to underline that word appoint in verse 2. And I want you to underline the word authority in verse 1. Because we're going to come back to these in just a second. And he goes on to say, and those who resist will incur judgment. Okay? So let's break down these two very important words that we see actually happen all throughout the New Testament. And it's the word authority, and it's the word appointed. Say it with me, authority and appointed. The Greek word for authority here is the word exousia. Let's go ahead and throw those up there. And here's what it means, to exercise authority or to have power. The word for appointed is the word tasso, tasso. And it means to order, to appoint or to ordain. Last week, I made the statement that God is a God of order and not chaos. He's a God of order and not disorder. He's a God of peace and not the crazy. Now, some of you have uncles and aunts and siblings and friends and family that are creatures of chaos, right? They're a little out there. But how many of you guys know that God actually wants our lives to be ruled and governed in a specific way? If you'll remember last week, I made the comment that the primary reason that God institutes human authority in the earth, here it is, is to bring order to the chaos, to provide checks and balances. So if we accept the fact that God appoints every leader who rules, then aren't we also accepting the fact that God appoints leaders who end up ruling in an evil way? Yes. We see evidence of this all throughout the scriptures. Now, if you haven't read your Bible, this might come as a shock to you. But I want to point out just a couple people that we would consider to be evil and oppressive rulers that God actually appointed. Are you ready? Here we go. Romans 9.17 tells us this with regards to Pharaoh. Who Who remembers Pharaoh in the Bible? Here's what Paul tells the Romans. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up. Who did God raise up? The word raised up here is is the word tasso. It's appointed. For this very purpose, I have appointed Pharaoh that I might show my power in you, Pharaoh, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. How about Nebuchadnezzar? You guys remember him? You guys remember Daniel in the lion's den? Daniel living in Babylon in a cruel system of empire, of oppression, And Daniel's in the midst of it. And here's the word of the Lord from the angels, what what the Bible sometimes refers to as the watchers. Here's Daniel chapter four, verse 17. And this is the sentence or the decree of the watchers. That's kind of cool. It's a fun study to do. The decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living, that would be all of us, may know that the most high, who? The most high rules the kingdom of men. And he gives it to whom he will, and he sets over it even the lowliest of men. We could say even the scoundrels and the tyrants and the evildoers. Even the lowliest of men. Those that don't fit the category of good. Now, by both accounts here, with regards to Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar, 
we see that God actually raised both of them up. He appointed them and ordained them to rule. We also see the same thing happen with regards to Pontius Pilate in the New Testament with Jesus. Let's go there for a second. John chapter 19, verse 11. Some of you guys are like, well, that's Old Testament, Jason, but what about the New Testament? Well, here's Jesus in the midst of being questioned by a Roman official named Pontius Pilate who had all of authority over the province of Jerusalem. And here he is right before his crucifixion, right before he's about to go to the cross, okay? This is the setting. I want you to, get, to keep that in mind as we read what Jesus says. Verse 11, and Jesus answered who? Pontius Pilate. He says, you would have no authority over me at all unless, here it is, it had been given to you from above. Even Jesus makes the remark, the king of kings, come on, the Lord of lords says you would have no authority, Pontius, which is kind of a fun word to say, if God himself hadn't appointed you, if God himself hadn't given you that authority. Listen to what Psalm 75, verses six through seven declares. Verse six, for not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is who? God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. I made the statement last week that it's God who raises up kings and it's God who lowers them. And that should be of great encouragement and hope to us. So if we wanna be biblical, which I hope you guys do, we need to accept that God is the one who grants all authority and appoints all leaders to rule. He can raise them and he can bring them down. As I said, what goes up oftentimes comes down. Now, with that said and all of your feathers ruffled, there is a huge difference between what God appoints and what God approves of. Which brings us to our second question today. Does God approve of every leader who rules. Now, Pastor Jason, are we just talking semantics here? All right, are you, just, are you just messing with me? No, I'm not. Does God approve of every leader who rules? The answer is no. That is if we take the Bible seriously. So go with me to 1 Samuel chapter eight, and we're gonna start with verses four through nine. 1 Samuel eight is an amazing event, which I believe describes and illustrates how God appoints people over nations that even he doesn't approve of. Are you ready? Here we go. Verse four. Then all the elders of what? Of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel, who was the prophet, and, he, and said to him, behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Jeez, that's a nice thing to say to a guy before he's about to die. <laughs> and here's what they want. Are you ready? Now appoint for us a king. There's that word again. Appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel ran to Facebook to complain about it. He got on his blog. He sent out a newsletter. No, he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, verse seven, obey the voice of the people and all that they say, for they have not rejected you, but they've actually rejected me from being the king over them. Yikes. And according to all the deeds that they have done from the day that I brought them out of slavery in Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also now doing it to you. They did it to me, Samuel, and they're doing it to you. Now then, here's what God says to him. Obey their voice. Only I want you to warn them and show them the ways of the king 
who shall reign over them. So Samuel goes on to actually do this. He warns the people. He's like, listen, guys, this is not what God wants. But if this is the course of action that you're going to take, here's what's going to happen. And here it is in verse 18. He says, and in that day, you will cry out because of your king, your king, your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. The warning to Israel is clear. They would be allowed to select their ruler or elect their ruler, but it would come with consequences. Can I say this? Elections have consequences. Okay. And this ruler would be an evil one who would actually oppress the people. We see the people's response in the very next verse, verse 19, if you're still reading with me. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. They didn't listen to the warning. They didn't listen to the prophet. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. How many of you guys know that God wanted to fight the people's battles? How many of you guys know that God wanted to be their king? How many know that God wanted to be their judge and their ruler? And what's the people's response? No, we'd rather be like all the nations of the world. We'd rather look like them, smell like them, talk like them, and appear like them. Can I say a couple things? First off, it's never a good idea to disregard the voice of the prophet. (laughs) Number two, Israel was never supposed to be like all the other nations of the world. God brought them out of Egypt to make them holy, which means separate, distinct from, um, to, to look different, to smell different, to taste different, to carry his presence, to carry his word in a way that would then be what? A light to the Gentiles, a light to all the nations. And then thirdly, God was gonna be their judge. He was gonna be their righteous ruler and king. It was never his intention that they would be ruled by anyone but him. Now, we see a theocratic system here, and obviously we live in a very democratic one. So it can be said that God still wants to rule us directly, but through what? Through people. This wasn't the case for them. In this day and age, God was like, I want to rule you myself. So I'll say it again. There is a huge difference between what God appoints and what God approves of. Or we could say it this way. There's a big difference between what God endorses and what God permits. Are you tracking with me tonight? Okay. Verse 21. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he goes back to the Lord to tell the Lord what they said. And the Lord says to Samuel, Obey their voice and give them what they want. Make them a king. So God inevitably gives the people what they want, but that was not his perfect and pleasing will for their lives. Last week we talked about discerning God's perfect and pleasing will for our lives. This is why we're commanded as the people of God to test all things, to discern all things. We see it in Romans chapter 12, verse two. Remember what it says. Do not be conformed to what? To the world. Here's Israel being conformed to the world. We want to be like all the nations. We want a king. We want this. We want that. And we know that that wasn't God's intent or heart for them. And it's the same for us. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is, here it is, good and acceptable and perfect. I want you to underline those words. Good, acceptable, and perfect. That's what we're after. 
That's ultimately, as a church and as God's people in the earth today, that's what we want. We want what God actually approves of for our life, not what he just permits. Are you with me? Because here's what's happening right now. The spirit of this world, what is often referred to as the spirit of this age, is trying to suck you and suck me into being conformed to the image of the world. Right? It's trying to get us to look like and sound like and smell like. And if we can just get one big global economy and one currency and one ruler and just everything will be nice. (laughs) How's that going to work out? Didn't work out too well when Pharaoh was in charge. Didn't work out too well when Caesar was in charge. Didn't work out too well when Nebuchadnezzar was in charge. Remember that guy? Remember what the Lord did to him? He ran around like an animal. Read the story. It's amazing. So ultimately, when we talk about what God appoints and what God approves of, we have to realize that they're not always synonymous, okay? God will often appoint people to leadership like Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar and Pontius Pilate and yes, even Saul, but not approve of them or how they rule the people. Are you with me? Ultimately, God holds Israel responsible for this. And we see it in Hosea chapter 13, verses 9 through 11. Let's read it. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. Verse 10, where now is your king to save you in all your cities? Where are all your rulers, those of whom you said, give me a king and princes? Because I gave you a king in my anger and I took him away in my wrath. Now I'll say this about the wrath of God. A lot of preachers won't go here. But there's two forms in which God's wrath comes upon people. Actively and passively. What are you saying, Pastor Jason? What I'm saying is that There is the active wrath of God when God himself takes up the sword against people, where God intervenes directly in in what happens. And we see it all throughout the Old Testament. I mean, just open up your Bible and you'll see battle after battle after battle where God himself goes out to fight for the people. And in that sense, the people opposed to the will and pleasing will and plans of God and his kingdom being established in the earth are laid to waste. We would call that active wrath. Passive wrath is when God simply steps out of the way and lets people do what they want and they get what they deserve, right? Their natural course of action leads them down a slippery slope that leads to judgment coming upon their life. That's why later in the book of Romans chapter one, we see that ultimately people do what? They exchange the truth for a lie, worshiping creation over creator, and it says that it leads them to, every, to give in to every lust and to dishonoring their bodies. Isn't that interesting? That people doing what they want leads to dishonor, not to more honor. Can we read it real quick? I don't have it on the screen, but I just feel impressed to do this real quick because I think it will help you. Romans 1. Let's do it. Here it is. Dun, 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 dun. For the wrath of God, verse 18, is revealed from heaven against what? All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to all people because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So everyone is without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking and their hearts were darkened. 
Their hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Ultimately, people started making idols. Therefore, here it is. Here's the passive wrath of God. God gave them up. God gave them over in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Okay? So this is a little bit of a a rabbit trail here, but I want you to understand that God will, at the end of your life, essentially say one of two things. He'll either say, or let me put it this way. You'll either either say to God at the end of your life, one of two things. God, your will be done, or God will say to you, your will be done. You can have what you've chosen. C.S. Lewis said that in The Great Divorce. So we see this ultimately with Israel. They choose a king that God did not approve of. This was not God's endorsement. And they get his wrath. They receive judgment, which begs the question, what or whom does God actually approve of? Guys, remember this little shepherd boy named David? The lowliest of his family, not a whole lot to look at, put out with the sheep, given the job of shoveling the dung. Long comes a little boy named David. And contrary to Saul here, David is a man after God's own heart. He's a man chosen and beloved, or we could say it this way for the sake of our time tonight, approved of by God. David was a great example of someone who knew how to honor up for the Lord's sake. David embraced the posture or the attitude of someone who would rather honor God than dishonor him with his actions. Saul chooses a different path. And everything that Saul does from that point forward begins to dishonor God. Just a few weeks ago, Pastor Doug Uh, spoke on how when we come together, it's important that we do so with a posture or an attitude of honor. That that the posture, attitude of our heart actually affects the way we live our lives. Do you guys believe that tonight? Okay, so David didn't always agree with Saul. We established in the first week that honor is not agreement. God never tells you to honor, to uh, agree with the emperor. He never tells you to agree with your president. He never tells you to agree with people, but he does tell you to honor them, right? And so here is David, and David doesn't always agree with Saul. He lovingly confronts him when Saul uh, sins and goes into error, but David still honors Saul as king because he recognizes that Saul wouldn't have been put in that place had God not allowed it. David could have easily overtaken him, but he doesn't. And just listen to what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 24, just a few chapters later. Verse 4. And the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So he sneaks up upon him while he's sleeping in the cave. You guys remember this story? Okay. And afterward, verse five, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. Isn't it interesting that Saul still receives the anointing of the Lord, even though he wasn't supposed to be king? 
Can I tell you? That's how merciful and loving our God is. Some, some of us read the Old Testament and we go, all we see is judgment and wrath and all I see is mercy, right? He didn't have to anoint Saul. He could have laid that fool to waste. He could have been like, flick, see ya, punk. Boop, you're gone. He could have done that with all of us, right? But in his mercy, he still pours out his anointing upon him. And so David seeing that he was the Lord's anointed, persuaded his men, verse seven, with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Now, David could have taken power by force, but instead he chose a posture and attitude of honor because Saul still stood in that position of God's appointed authority. And David knew that all authority, all authority, all authority comes from God. Regardless of how Saul was going to use it, regardless of how Saul was going to abuse it, people, David recognized that it was still God's authority. As I said last week, the principle of authority is neutral. You can use authority in a way that is evil. You can use authority in a way that is just. You can rule it in a way that is righteous, or you can rule in a way that is unrighteous. David used what authority he had with the people that were following him at this time, what the Bible sometimes refers to as David's mighty men. These were actually just complainers and people that sought him out while David was hiding in a cave, by the way. But he uses what authority he has with the people that were under his leadership to point them in the way of honor. Could have taken Saul's life, but instead he gives an object lesson on what it means to honor God by honoring the king. David chooses a life of honor and God honors him. And God honors him. Can I tell you guys, honor is actually what God wants for your life. God wants you to walk in honor. But in order to walk in honor, we gotta first give honor. We gotta first honor up. Which brings us to our last question tonight, number three, will God hold every leader accountable for the way that they rule? The short answer, once again, is yes. I made the statement last week that God is the judge of all things. Ultimately, God will hold people to account for the way that they rule, right? Those who rule unjustly will be held to account for what they've done with that power and that authority, and God is going to be the judge. We looked at this in, uh, let's see here, 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 14 through 15. It says this, If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be what? Well, if you do well with the authority you're given, guess what? You're going to be all right. It's going to go well with you. It's going to be okay. But, but, verse 15, if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but you rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Samuel makes it pretty clear here. Follow the Lord. Rule justly. Use honor the way that honor is supposed to be utilized and things will go well. But if you don't, Watch how God comes against you. The Bible says that he does what? He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. How many of you guys could use an extra heaping of grace? Come on. 
That means each and every one of us can do this and should do this. Amen? This is why Jesus is not just content to be our Savior. As I I sang earlier, he wants to be our Lord. When Jesus is Lord, it means that he has ultimate say over how your life should be ruled and governed in all things. Not just some things, not just in the areas that are convenient, come on, but in all things. This is why Peter, in our opening text that we looked at, 1 Peter 2.13, tells us to do what? To be subject for the Lord's sake. Why do we honor the emperor? For the Lord's sake, not for the emperor's sake. Why do we honor our leaders? For the Lord's sake, not for their sake. God can raise them and he can bring them down. Our time on this earth is short, you guys, right? But it's the Lord. It's for the Lord's sake that we do this, that we honor everyone and that we're subject to every person that God places in positions of power. This is how we learn how to be subject to the Lord, by honoring up, by welcoming Christ's lordship and his kingship in our life. When we do this, this is what we're saying. Jesus, come and be our king. Come rule and reign this. I want you to come, Lord, and I want you to put the nation to right, and I want you to judge evil and bring judgment upon those that do evil. But come on, before he can do any of that, he wants to do it right here in us. He's like, I'll come riding in on that white horse one day. Don't you worry. I'm going to take care of it. Whoever's in my way, they're going to get trampled. You can trust that that'll happen. But before that happens, let's talk about the little patch of grass called your heart. Let's stamp a flag there. Let's put a throne there. Let's allow God to be king there first. Which brings us to the end. The way that we honor Christ's lordship is by honoring up. And this always happens in and through the attitude and posture of the heart. So let me ask you guys, how's your heart? How's your heart? For those of you watching online or listening to this message, how's your heart? Do you tend to relate more to Saul? Or do you tend to relate more to David in the way that you show honor to people? Do you find it easy to honor your earthly leaders or do you find yourself cursing them under your breath at work? Do you find yourself mumbling against them whenever they appear on the news or do you pray for them diligently the way that the Bible commands us to pray for our leaders? Can I encourage you guys? As a church, let's be a people that from our hearts honor up, that choose to take our words and our actions and speak life over people. Not death, not more cursing, but let's bless people. Let's be a people that use our lives to bless and not curse those that we often disagree with, amen? Let's trust that King Jesus will come in and take care of those that rule unjustly. And right now, I believe he's doing it. He's cleaning his house. He's dealing first with the church. He's holding pastors accountable for the way in which they have done wrong and ruled wrong. And some of you have been under authority that has been abusive. And I just want to say as a pastor, on behalf of pastors, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that people have ruled and reigned over you in an unjust way. On behalf of the king that I serve, I just want to extend my heart in saying, I'm sorry. But come on, there's somebody behind us that we need to apologize to. Because each and every one of us can be held account for the way that we've used our what? Our leadership to rule. John Maxwell defines leadership simply as this, as influence. Everybody has a measure of influence, meaning everybody has a measure of leadership, meaning everyone's going to be held account for what they do to steward this. 
So how's your heart? How are you leading people? How are you ruling and, and reigning in the earth? Are you doing it in partnership with King Jesus, the good king, the one who bows low to wash his disciples' feet? Or are you holding it over people? For those of you that own businesses and have employees, are you treating people with respect and honor and dignity? Are you loving people? Are you generous? Employees, are you being generous towards those that have authority over you? Wherever that is and whatever that looks like, ask yourself this question. Are people seeing Jesus in me by the way that I speak and act? Is the kingship and lordship of Jesus being put on display? That's the invitation. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.